Today, we have a bit of a meta episode. This is a history podcast episode about the making of a history podcast about the history of slavery at Mount Vernon. It's historiographiception. We're talking about the podcast intertwined the enslaved community of George Washington's Mount Vernon's with its creators, Jim Ambusky, Jeanette Patrick, and Brenda Parker. This is too complicated for history. Thank you all so much for being here. Well, thanks for having us. So I guess one of the first questions I have, given that you guys have produced and released uh, this show intertwined is uh, how did it come about? What was the, what was the inception? What was the reason behind it? So like the initial uh, concept and idea. Yeah, it's a great question. And we have to go back to 2019, which feels like 600 years ago at this point, uh, given everything. But the idea actually originated with Mount Vernon's president and CEO, Doug Bradburn. Uh, we were having a conversation one day about kinds of things that could come out of the Center for Digital History. And he was very interested in having a podcast strategy, in part because the award-winning exhibit that we had here at Mount Vernon called Lives Bound Together, which told the story of the enslaved community uh, for a number of years, uh, I think since 2016, was about to, um, was about to come down uh, in favor of a new exhibition. And it had actually been up longer than most traditional museum exhibitions. You know, usually those are 18-month rotations, and this has been up, up four or five years at this point. And so he had the idea of, of how can we transform that into a podcast to preserve its legacy and preserve its storytelling ability in a different way. And so that was kind of the origins of it. And um, the idea sat for a while in part because we had a lot going on. But we actually had to, we needed some serious time to think about how to actually execute this. You know, we have the standard flagship podcast conversations at the Washington Library. That's that's enough for me to handle by myself in terms of production and hosting and whatnot. But to do something like Intertwined, uh, as you all know, doing this podcast is an entirely different animal. And so uh, at that point, it was just me. I was an army of one in the Center for Digital History. And then we poached Jeanette from the media department in a very successful and stunning coup. And uh, that was kind of the moment where we would be able to start actually planning for this thing and, and think about what it might look like. And and Jeanette, when you got brought on board, as far as transposing those, what so what was the thought process like? Because you, you even um, Jim was saying that it required a lot of consideration. Um, could you and and Brenda after uh, afterwards, I would love to hear your thoughts on it too, and hear how you got brought onto the project. But explain why it was so important to put that thought process into it. Like why was it important to consider uh, how it was going to be preserved? Absolutely. Um, I think when you look at the the themes and topics of any story you want to tell, you also need to think about the medium you're telling these through. And Lives Bound Together had done an incredible job of creating stories and narratives that focused on the community of people who were enslaved in Mount Vernon. And I had worked closely with the lead curator, Jesse, to transition the physical exhibit into a digital exhibit. And so I'd already been thinking a lot about how do we take these stories and then transition it again into a podcast. Um, and so thinking about how do we 
construct narratives without visuals and when the two earlier versions had been visual heavy and had used charts and graphs. And so we definitely wanted to take the time to figure out how to make these stories really come to life and how to, you know, include the works of incredible historians without it feeling like we were giving people a lot of historiography um, because people often actually enjoy historiography if you never use that word. Um, and so <laughs> we knew we needed to talk to a group of experts, but we also knew that whoever was going to weave all of those experts together and tell the story it had to be um, an amazing storyteller and had to be able to, you know, not just help breathe life into the project, but also bring expertise into the project to help Jim and I ensure that as we looked at the history in a different perspective, we maintained the accuracy and we continued to be respectful and that we still did a good job telling good history. Um, and so that's when, you know, we started to talk to Brenda to see if she would be interested in helping us with the project, but then also, especially she is such a talented actress and we knew that she would be able to, you know, with her voice, bring the emotion to the story help make this, you know, as good as it could be. When I uh, was contacted or talked to by Jeanette, it was so funny because it was almost like a drugs transaction. She was like, I'm going to talk to you about something. All right. Were you, you in know? the back alley? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. It was kind of like on the DL, you know, <laughs> I need to talk to you about something. It's a project and I don't know whether or not you want to do this or not. But we were thinking, you know, just let me know if you're interested. <laughs> we're thinking about doing this podcast. Okay. You don't have to answer right now. <laughs> well, because I wanted you to have the opportunity to say this is not a project I want to invest myself into. You know? Which is I, I, one of the things that I absolutely adore about Jeanette and, and Jim is that they've always been there for me. Um making sure that the emotional burden didn't get too overwhelming as as were um, my responsibilities there on the estate um, were so numerous. <laughs> it was absolutely ridiculously numerous. And because I have, a, you know, a passion to continue to do this kind of work and everything like that, it was it was one of those things that I could not turn down. <laughs> Every notification is going off right now. Um, <laughs> it's the ancestors saying they approve, they approve, they approve. Yeah. Um, basically, that's what's happening right now. And so, and so I, I took it on as, you know, as a sign that I needed to go ahead and to do this because it would help extend the life of those people that I had been so so passionately, so driven, you know, to to talk about their lives. It would extend their lives beyond, you know, the exhibit coming down, extend their lives beyond just the information that we had out there in the digital, you know, um, space and everything, even beyond the videos that, you know, we had put up, you know, before and everything like that. You've got to be kidding me. So it was just me just trying to give them more breath, more life mm. and to and to make the whole entire thing more ephemeral so to speak, to where it just, you know, it's out there, it's living forever and ever and ever. Amen. Yeah. And, and when you say uh, those people who are your, the stories you're telling, who, who are we, who are we actually talking about? Cause I don't know if we've, we've teed that up nicely. I am talking about the beautiful um, um, 317 enslaved individuals, the 317 
humans, um, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, wives, you know, husbands, and that were there on the property at the time of Washington's death. I'm talking about, you know, the over 600 people in his lifetime, you know, who's, um, he had an opportunity to interact with them and to, you know, their legacies to, you know, to intertwine, <laughs> um, so to speak, <laughs> and, and, and just making sure that, you know, even though they passed on, that they were not forgotten because it's very important to American history that we recognize everybody's contribution, no matter how small or insignificant it might be titled or or labeled, that everybody had a contribution and everybody's contribution made this vast tapestry beautifully, you know, we're looking at and we're admiring today. Right. And I have to say, I, I love the podcast and I, I should note the caveat that I'm I'm in a few episodes and that's not why I love it. Yeah. Um, I actually feel very, very honored to have, have been a part of it and to be able to talk about um, more Martha Washington and, and you know, the, the enslaved community as a whole. And so I loved the fact that you were able to get down into individuals, because I think what's most important to me is mm -hmm. being able to relate one on one with people. Mm -hmm. And that's really what makes them become a three dimensional human being. Yeah. Um, and I guess in that way, any for me, any type of history becomes personal history because you get these mm -hmm. connections sort of what what did you hope that the audience was going to get out mm -hmm. of this? And um, maybe if you got something out of it that you maybe were expecting when you started out. Yeah, it's um, actually a really, oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, ahead, no, 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 go ahead. <laughs> well, I was just saying, <laughs> no, we can it, go around it, the circle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, <laughs> it um, part of what we were after was in some ways, and you kind of answer the question for yourself when you're talking about how the fact that we had you on, because what we wanted to do, there were several things we had to do before we even started, you know, launch the project. And fortunately, Jeanette and I were on the same page pretty quickly, and in, including the fact that we wanted Brenda to host uh, and and tell these stories. But we, when thinking about the audience, we had a sort of a few objectives in mind, and and one was that we wanted the podcast to be its own thing, inspired by but distinct from Lives Bound Together, in part. Because folks like yourself, Lynn, like Bruce Ragsdale, Brenda Stevenson, Marcus Nevius, all of these gifted scholars had done a tremendous amount of work since the launch of that exhibition. And we wanted to take advantage of that. And we wanted to incorporate that into the podcast to show that the podcast itself wasn't simply a replication of the exhibit and simply reading the, the narrative panels, but actually is in conversation with the broader historical discussions going on about slavery in the Atlantic world and in North America and George Washington. We also decided early on that we weren't going to pull punches, but we weren't going to throw low blows either. Um, and it's very easy to do that. It's easy, it's easy to do both, you know, especially mm -hmm. at a, quite frankly, at a place, uh, at a historic site like Mount Vernon or Monticello, in which a lot of your revenue is derived from tourist visits. Mm -hmm. And you are trying to thread the needle of keeping as wide as possible an audience happy. Um, but that's not necessarily good history. Sometimes, sometimes you got to try to find a way to throw that football right down the middle of the field and hit that touchdown to use a Super Bowl analogy. Uh, cause my Bengals are in it, uh, this season, <laughs> 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 but to, um, but to tell nuanced stories, uh, and mm -hmm. then to tell nuanced stories centered around the biographies of individual people. And we decided pretty quickly that if this was going to work, we, we were going to try to do themes and each episode is a theme, but 
to make those more real, uh, we would center them around people like Kate or William Lee or Sambo Anderson, folks like that, so that the audience through Brenda can make a very personal connection with those enslaved people and learn more about their lives, not just as enslaved people, but as people who, you know, are living, breathing people. Right. Excellent. Yeah, it's it's it was that that made me happiest, <laughs> um, all, you know, all, all together, because a lot of the other projects and the contributions that I, you know, loaned my, you know, expertise and my skills, my gifts or whatever it is out to, you know, different departments, they weren't as committed to doing that kind of intimate work, mm-hmm. you know, um, in making these persons human, complete human beings, you know, giving back to them, not only, you know, the the surface level of respect, you know, by saying enslaved. Right. <laughs> um, right. Um, but it went much deeper, you know, when they actually, you know, the, the, this was an enslaved man who was wife, you know, husband too, that was, you mm-hmm. know, did, you know, X, Y, and Z, you know. Right. And so it became the returning or the restoration of complete humanity, like you, you know, you mentioned before, um, Lynn, that in um, society and the society then and the society now, as in reinforced of, you know, white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said the, the scary words um, and everything <laughs> to where, you know, it's labeling people as one group of people superior and another group of people inferior. Right. And the fact that the enslaved population was always thought of as inferior, mm-hmm. you know, was one of those things that I felt that we we had an ability to, you know, to kind of reframe that and to correct, you know, that injustice that had been done for such a long time, a ridiculously long time. So, um, yeah, it it helped me being able to commit all of my energy and my efforts, although I wish it, it could have gone on a little bit longer because I kind of liked you know, <laughs> those hours of recording. Um, I don't think it, the listeners would have minded either if you'd have kept going, honestly. <laughs> too bad we don't have that many outtakes, and, but some of those conversations we would have some of those days where I think they were a little bit too intense for the general audience to listen to. Mm-hmm. Because we were talking about the world, world events and my personal experience and, you know, everybody's lived experience that was there in the, you know, in that particular session. Right. Which, again, is it's a beautiful thing because I was able to have these conversations with people that come from different lived experiences, you know, different backgrounds. We all everybody here on this panel right now, we all have, you know, our own lived experiences that shape our expectations and our perceptions of the world out there. But we could have these conversations to where I would say, you know, I I saw X and Y and Z as a microaggression or as being, you know, racist. And the other person might say, well, it's like, well, I don't understand why. And I would get an opportunity to elaborate and then connect it to something that happened to one of the persons that we were talking about in the podcast. I'll say, well, remember when this happened? Right. This is an example of this today. Huh. And and everybody, you know, the little light bulbs are going off in people's heads huh. and everything. So uh, and be- right before, before, you know, to not to interrupt, but just for our audience, just for some clarification, the reason 
Brenda said the uh, the word use the word enslaved versus the the noun slave, and the reason that why you might be hearing that at a lot of you know the, that language shift in a lot of places, uh, both pu- like publications and at places like museums and historical sites like Mount Vernon, is because enslavement is a state of being, not a kind of person. That's the the, the differentiation that that language makes, and why it's important to use one versus the other. But gone, Jeanette. Sorry, I just want to make sure that we didn't skip over that. No, and I mean, that's that's an incredible, important point that we hope we make in the podcast is showing that it is it is a status imposed on people and that it is not their main status. And as Brenda was saying, we're trying to help create full people. And so it's not just that they were an enslaved something, but that they were a mother who had children, who was a skilled seamstress, who you know had all of these things that made her life full, even if she happens to be under this terrible status of enslavement. And so, you know, I think always reframing everything we were thinking about into these personal stories and narratives was something that, you know, I really enjoyed getting to spend time working on and thinking about and making sure that every time we were talking about people, we were really talking about specific people and not mm-hmm. an enslaved person that we were just, you know, using to construct something. So I think really thinking about everyone in the past as people. I I think it's a remarkable, um, Brenda, because this is the the second or third conversation uh, I've had with you about various topics and things. But I always find it remarkable in how much joy you find in this, because it can be a topic and subject matter that is daunting for a lot of people to tackle, both from an emotional level, from all spectrums, no matter what your background or lived lived experience it is. But I always found it both inspiring um, and fascinating <laughs> how much joy you find uh, in, in talking about this. And that's just it, because I'm blessed to live in a time and an age where I can talk about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not prosecuted or persecuted or had my tongue cut out because I do speak. I look at it as that joy, you know, uh, I think I did one of the first magazine articles I did from Mount Vernon, talked about what I do as a joyful burden. That's what I called it, Mm -hmm. Mm the joyful burden. Um, And I, not liking myself to Christ, whom, you know, I made an image of. Um, (laughs) But it's it's one of those things where it's like, if, you know, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? You know, who else is going to do it? Mm -hmm. And if not now, when? And I think about all of the generations of my people, you know, of my kinfolk and my skinfolk that were not able to speak up. To say, no, I have a right just because I exist, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, no, I have a right because, you know, you wrote it into the Constitution. You said that I was a citizen. Therefore, as a citizen, I'm claiming my right to X, Mm -hmm. Y and Z. Um, So I'm doing it for all of the people, you know, that weren't able to do it. And that's, you know, that's the joy that I have in the middle of all of the chaos and all of the heartbreak and all of the deceitful people or hurtful people that would try to use, you know, my speaking up against me in some some way, shape or form, just because they don't want me yet again or somebody that looks like me or somebody that represents people, you know, that come from my, you know, my own social constructed group um, (laughs) to have any advantages that make them seem less than. And I think what I I love about this podcast and about making enslaved people individuals 
and why some people may push back against it is because it makes it a lot more difficult to sort of look past slavery and say, well, that's just how it was back then. (laughs) And, you know, to, to a degree, we have to accept that we live in a very different world. But that doesn't mean that we weren't all human beings mm-hmm. back then. And I think that can make it more uncomfortable for people when they visit historic sites. And so my question, my question for you, for all of you, is just how do you deal with that? Because it's it's you want to tell these stories, but you're also you're you have to make money. You know, you're a public institution, so you're walking these very fine lines. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's public history versus business, really. I, I'd be curious, in, in just to jump off of that question, Lynn, what the rece- like what you found since the show has been released. Because, uh, you know, you guys have yeah. ideas about how it's good, like how the public is going to respond to things. Mm-hmm. And then I guess, you know, you put those ideas to the test once they get to hear them. Mm-hmm. So were your um, the things that you thought the perception that you thought you were, the response you thought you were going to get, is that what you guys got? How about, um, and this can be for anybody. I thought there was going to be more pushback. I really mm-hmm. did. Yeah. I, was, yeah. I was so terrified. I was so terrified. I remember sending an email <laughs> to Jeanette and Jim, and it was basically like, <laughs> it was like, if I don't wake up tomorrow, <laughs> if I'm killed, you know, in an accident, please know that I've appreciated everything that you've done and helping me amplify and elevate the voices of my, you know, my ancestors. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to be, in, you know, in the movie version of, you know, the life of Brenda Parker. Um, <laughs> they were just like going, Brenda, is everything okay? Because I, I, I'm, you know, I'm accustomed to yet again, always having my voice silenced. Right. And always having the things that I do discounted or diminished, you know, in some capacity or another. And then I think that's probably like a generational trauma, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think that was like the ancestors going, I'm just like, baby, you're going to be okay. You know, it's like, <laughs> we, we we fixing up your mansion, girl. We got your tea for you. <laughs> you know, it's going to be all right, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I personally, I personally did expect more pushback. I expected more negative comments of, you know, how do you know this, you know, and then we get to point them down to the transcript and all of the Biblia, you know, all of the references, all of the resources and everything. Yeah, I love that we were able to do that. So. Yeah. Oh, and yes, as a as a historian, I have to thank you for having the transcript, for having all of the sources, the links. Absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you have something like that, there's really not much you can do but point to the sources if someone has a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing of beauty. I think that part of why we were expecting a lot of pushback is because Mount Vernon's mission is to, you know, spread the stories of the life and legacy of George Washington. Right. And there are a lot of people who love and adore George Washington and often just want to look at the best and brightest parts of his life. And Mm -hmm. as an institution, Mount Vernon frequently has people upset or annoyed or, you know, commenting or responding to anything connected to stories of people who were enslaved at Mount Vernon. And I think we were really expecting because this was a large project that we put a lot of time and effort and money into and, you know, and it, since the exhibit, nothing quite as big had happened. So we were expecting large amounts of pushback just because mm-hmm. because of the topic. And we were expecting, 
you know, people wouldn't even listen and then they would get upset because mm-hmm. it was about slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've been very surprised to see that the general mm-hmm. public response has been like equal to any time a post on Facebook or an email goes out connected to slavery. There hasn't been a larger, you know, group of people upset. And from what we've seen in comments and reviews and things, if people start listening, they're not upset by it. We've not seen people who are actually listening to the podcast giving us negative feedback or, you know, have, you know, pointing out things and being like, we'll prove this to us. And it's, it's been nice to know that the people who are listening to the show seems to like they're learning, they're, they're understanding, they're getting the context of Washington and seeing how he impacted all of these people. Yeah, we actually, we had the added advantage in a lot of ways of knowing what the potential reaction would be mm-hmm. based on existing criticisms every time, you know, our social media team would post something about slavery or whatnot. And we were able to find ways to actually incorporate or anticipate those kinds of questions into the narrative. Mm-hmm. And I'll give mm-hmm. concrete examples, episode one, you know, a common thing, and I've you know, as all of us as professional historians have been dealing with this for years, is you'll inevitably get someone who says, well, you know, the Greeks and the Romans enslaved people and, and Native Americans enslaved each yep. other and people have been enslaving each other for generations. And it's like, yep, absolutely true. Cool. That's that. But here's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to have an expert on named Brenda Stevenson who's going to talk about that fact. And then we're going to show you how in North America something changes and people make a choice to create a race-based system of slavery. and it's it's a way to not undercut because i don't think that's what we're after it's a way to take their position and actually at least attempt to help them understand how there are contingent moments in time that in which a series of people in a community make choices that you know redirect the flow of history into a different course and in this case in the 17th century well, really, in the, in the beginning of the 14th and 15th and 16th century, first the Portuguese and Spanish, and then the English make a choice that the people worthy of enslavement are going to come from Africa, and that that will become the dominant labor system in at least parts of North America by the 18th century. The common points and just preemptively unpackaged those hard topics and those questions that we knew we were going to get asked, and we wove those into the interviews we were doing and Brenda's narration and you know, tried to set it up so that if someone was upset by one of the very common things, we could say, well, have you, have you finished listening? Like, did you get to the end? Cause if you've gotten to the end and are still confused, we'll help talk you through this. Um, and so, and it, yeah. it seems and to have the, worked. To George Washington in particular, I think that's really important because I think, you know, he's so woven into our national mythos that there is this idea of perfection. Mm-hmm. Uh, one historian has, has called yep. him an imperfect God, uh, because of his, uh, status as an enslaver. Mm-hmm. But I think we've been flawed in this false sense of security, at least in the general public, that Washington is impenetrable. That And that sold a lot of books in the early 2000s. So he's the opaque man and we don't really know him. As Lynn knows full well, working with his papers, <laughs> this guy tells you who he is and he knows who he is. Oh, yes. And his he well understood mm-hmm. throughout the entirety of his life that part of his core identity was an enslaver. Yeah. And that he thought about the enslaved community every day. He thought about individual enslaved people. He thought about Mm -hmm. slavery in America. And those changed over time. But those were ever present. And, you know, so people want to talk about Washington's business acumen 
or um, his uh, status as a farmer. Well, guess what's intimately involved in that? And he knew precisely what was involved in that. And, mm-hmm. and he knew there was no escaping it. Uh, at least he he hoped he could escape it. And uh, you know, if you listen to several of the episodes, we, we go through that. But you know, Washington knew who he was. And part of our job was to help people understand that he knew that so that they could know that better. I mean, he falls on the other end of the spectrum. Like the public also doesn't see him as a person because they see him as like a godlike figure. And so I think in a way we were also trying to show that he is also a person and, you know, in the same ways has these, you know, he's, he's real just like the rest of us and he has flaws. Yeah. He's unique amongst the founding generation there in that sort of status, I I think for a whole host of reasons, but he, people, I think one of the reasons why you guys get a lot of visceral response to negative criticism to him is that he is wrapped up in our, our mythos. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the transitive property of equality. Washington (laughs) equals America. I am an American. Therefore Washington equals me. And if he did something bad, I am bad. Right. (laughs) That's the sort of emotional leap that people are making, which is it's flawed. tough to do. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's tough to like sort of wrap your head around that when it's like this is a real person, not an idea. And and you're not responsible for right. somebody else's actions or choices. You know, um, one of the things that I try to do, you know, when I was doing my, you know, my one-on-one um, presentations, I had um, a music program and everything and, you know, go through like four different labeled Negro spirituals or hymns or whatever it is. But I'm incorporating the legislature and the law of the land and the things, you know, that Washington was choosing to do, all of these different things and explaining to people or trying to get them to understand that, you can't be held accountable and you will not be held accountable for something that somebody else did. There's no past police that are going to, you know, <laughs> jump through a portal and come and arrest you, Lynn, and come and arrest you because of something that your great, 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 you know, aunt did. Right. You know, where she, you know, she murdered this abusive, you know, her abusive husband. Right. And they never caught her. So they're going to come and put you in jail. Right. And, Sounds you know, like movie, it doesn't though. happen like that. Or that and, if I hide it, it still happened. <laughs> right? You know, right. It still happened. <laughs> it's, it's, and it's crazy because, you know, in the anti-racist teachings of, you know, people like um, Kendi, um, Kendi and um, uh, the other one, um, who, forgive me, Lord, please don't ever listen to this podcast. But anyway, <laughs> what, he was, what he was saying was, you know, it's like, um, because I, you know, bought the little book, you know, anti-racist baby and everything like that, where you're trying to explain to them that you might have done something bad. But that does not make you yourself bad. Right. Mm -hmm. And if I could get people to understand that about Washington, then they would be able to understand that I am not inherently bad just because something that my ancestor did. Right. You know, that we're all accountable for our own actions Mm -hmm. and reactions. You know, and and just leave it at that if you could just do that much. But again, you know, the society being the way that it is, they want to view themselves as being this, you know, this God, this marble statue up on a pedestal, you know, that is everywhere in every freaking building and all of our money, you know, all of our money everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, and say, you know, be like George. Everybody wants to be like George. And I was like, I don't want to be an enslaver. <laughs> you know, I don't want to choose to enslave another human being and make the choice to 
just pretend like he's not a human being in order to make myself feel better about what I'm doing to this human being. And that's exactly what our founders did. So sorry for the interruption, but we're going to take a brief break now for a word from our sponsors. I came to sort of view him a little bit like I view one of my grandparents. I admire the hell out of my grandfather, but there are certain things I just would not want to have a conversation with him about. Right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like exactly. Exactly. He did some amazing things in his life and accomplished a lot, mm-hmm. but I really don't want to talk about immigration with him. Like, just, that's right. It's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't <laughs> negate any of the things that he did that were noteworthy exactly. in the world. Right. And, and I think that's what a lot of people think that we're, we're trying to do, that we're trying to tear him down or remove from him, you know, or strip from him all of his accolades and everything that he did, we're not trying to toss the baby out with the bathwater. We're just trying to say, you know, not all, not all of the choices and the decisions that he made were for the benefit of everybody, you know, of all of humanity, even though you didn't call them human beings. You, you know, you counted them as property, as movable property, as chattel, that they were still, you know, human. So we, we were, you know, hitting that mark on both of those, you know, restoring a complete humanity to these individuals, as well as saying that this person that you laud and you herald, you know, was a flawed human being. And if he was a flawed, complete human being, let everybody else be a flawed, complete human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, just one caveat well to that put. personal story. My grandfather is an immigrant. No, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> so he's anti-immigrant? <laughs> There's no way to wrap your head around it. It's one of those things you're just like, all right, just smile and nod, smile and nod. How about those bangles? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it makes sense. It, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, but that's really interesting in um, that you saw the reception. It was soft, like not. It was more receptive that mm-hmm. the audience, like the general public, was more receptive than what you thought. Is that? Do you think that's indicative of? I'm sure it's a, a reflective of the quality of the work that you put in. But also, do you think it's indicative of the larger fear of, I think, for institutions like Mount Vernon that are plantation, you know, uh, southern plantations and, and that are now historical monuments or historical sites, being a f- more afraid than the reality? Of, like, does the pushback there or is there, does pe- are people held back by a fear of pushback? Um, and and uh, does it take, you know, sort of an institution like yours sort of stepping out into the forefront to potentially take some criticism to say like, hey, look, it, it's not so scary here. Right. Or and is if, that real? If I could jump jump off of that and just sort of expand Isaac's question, do you also think that it's the format in which the information mm-hmm. is being portrayed? Because you have people coming to this podcast and listening to it or, you know, finding it on Facebook versus individuals in person coming to Mount Vernon. So do you think that True. that also has an impact on these the positive versus negative receptions and, you know, fears in what you think is going to be the outcome. I can, I, I can probably speak to that point, Lynn, but I think Jeanette's probably got some ideas about the other she one. She looks like she's <laughs> thinking. <laughs> um, my initial thought was, I'm curious if some of it has to do with the medium. I mean, statistically, people who listen to podcasts are hmm. higher educated or they are doing it for an educational reason. And so I'm curious if, you know, these are people who are seeking knowledge and wanting to learn more. Mm -hmm. And so they're willing to listen and they're willing to, you know, take what experts are saying and think about it and, you know, be part of, you know, that learning experience. And so some of me does wonder if 
you know, that that is part of it, you know, and, and I, I don't know for sure why we didn't see a large amount of negative feedback. Um, we've not explored that kind of because why would we? Because it's exciting <laughs> that we didn't receive a lot of negative yeah. feedback yet. Why question? Um, yeah. And so, I mean, some of it could also be that, you know, maybe it, it, it's not, Mount Vernon did not do a unique, unusual thing by putting a project out that was very focused on the community of people who were enslaved at the site. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't know that the organization did take a unique step, you know, out there. If we look at a lot of the Virginia Southern plantation historic sites right now, a lot of them are doing cool, new, innovative, like things that are focused around the different groups of people who are enslaved on their sites. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. The mediums I think are really important. Um, and I, and Jeanette's totally right. You know, the podcast audience, as you all well know, tends to be, uh, tends to have a postgraduate degree, you know, is, is somewhere in their late 20s to early 30s, uh, is interested in nuanced conversations or storytelling or things like that. Whereas at a public museum site, the idea is to appeal to the widest possible audience or to at least make it accessible to the widest possible audience. So, for example, with our ex- exhibitions, right? The copy text and all that kind of stuff is is written to be intelligible to someone with at least an eighth grade reading level. Now, that's you know to say that's not saying anything about the majority of our people who come through, but it's it's designed to at least reach down into. Except um, the majority are students, and so right, you the, know it, it is there to support a student level of learning, which this podcast. Right. We were hopeful it could be used in a high school classroom, but we were not expecting middle schoolers to be able to grasp the concept. It's not geared to right. that. Gotcha. No. Right. Yeah. Now, the issue is with lives bound together, and we, we get like, what, one, two million? I have no idea who come, how many people come through Mount Vernon every year, but oh, it's a couple one, million. One, one million on a pre-COVID year. Ah, excellent. The former employee knows more about the place where I work than I do. (laughs) (laughs) On any given day, you know, when lives bound together is up 20, it's only 20% of the people who come each day go through there. So you really have to make a choice to actually to have gone into that exhibit. And so you're with the podcast being a different medium, you're reaching a different kind of audience who is more self-selecting, who is more willing to engage with this kind of material because they are already accustomed to consuming content that is more complicated, more complex, but also delivered in a form that is uh, digestible uh, in ways that excite them. Yeah, I guess I'm asking this for selfish reasons as someone who is putting out content on sometimes touchy <laughs> things. I'm like, what's the secret sauce? Mm. <laughs> well, and studies have shown, I mean, the I think the largest growing audience of podcast listeners in the last, I think it's year, is black women. And so I think when we also think, and huh. they've, they've these reports also look at what type of content, yes, like you, Brenda, um, <laughs> they, they're really interested in history podcasts, but they're interested <laughs> in history podcasts that look at history from their perspective. And as Judge Quander, who was interviewed for our podcast says, I mean, the history we're talking about is American history from an African-American perspective. Hmm. And so I think that it, it also makes sense that, you know, hopefully that's some of the people who are listening and, you know, maybe we found an audience that, you know, we were able to speak to and that, you know, was happy to be able to hear these stories and we're not necessarily coming in because they love George Washington. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) 
<laughs> that is the truth. And I, you know, I can testify to that because if you go through my, the things that I have to listen to hmm. as far as podcasts, yeah, mm-hmm. they're mostly history based because I I feel like I was not taught this. I was not exposed to this. And I kept thinking, you know, for me, you know, and I, I think I've discussed this one at the time in conversation, I kept mm-hmm. blaming it on my military, you know, growing up. And I kept thinking, and it was like, oh, well, I just must have missed that semester. I must have missed that chapter, you know. But come to find out when I'm asking other people, you know, of non-military, that we just were not taught this. In, in school, we were not exposed to this. And, you know, it is frustrating. It makes me so angry, like ridiculously angry. And that's another thing that drives me to keep doing and keep saying. And, you know, it's like every time somebody passes me the mic, I'm just like going, boom. What do mm-hmm. you, you know, what do you want me mm-hmm. to talk about? What don't you want me to talk about, basically? You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, because I'm willing to talk about it all. And then the more I'm understanding is that European countries, um, Germany, for example, the children start learning about the Holocaust in grade school, mm-hmm. in elementary, you know, so they don't have mm-hmm. they don't have any major issues like we do here in our country. And that's the kind of things that, you know, I try to do and I was trying to do it you know, by myself and hoping that the institution would get on board with me. Um, another one of the reasons why, you know, I had to separate myself when I did. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's paramount. It's paramount for us to have complete history, complete American history. You know, don't leave out anything. Don't leave out anything. Take it and fashion it yet again, like you said, make it palatable, make it digestible, you know, digestible for them in small little bites. If you have to take it and chew it up first and feed them like a baby bird, (laughs) then do that. And it's, you know, it's not that it's not that complicated, you know, because we all start off on milk before we move to bread, before we move to meat. This is completely beside the point, but the only thing I could think of is one of the opening sequences to Ace Ventura 2 when he feeds the baby bird. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I I saw Lynn's face as soon as she said birds, and I was like, oh, she's thinking exactly what I'm thinking right now. (laughs) Um, But yeah, go ahead. What what you brought up, Brenda, is something that I've been thinking about a lot. And it's one of those things that at this point I certainly don't have an answer for, and I'm not sure if there is an answer. Um, But it came up when. I hear about visitors to a place like, and it, it's not just Mount Vernon, a visit to any, you know, Southern plantation. And you hear them say, well, I wasn't expecting to be confronted with these uh, harsh realities of slavery. Why weren't you expecting? Like, you should be expecting <laughs> that. The question, it, it, to me, it's not they're doing something wrong. It's your education was lacking because you should mm-hmm. be expect you should go to a Southern plantation and expect mm-hmm. the whole story and just, re- you know, know that that's what you're going to be confronting. And so what I'm struggling with is who's responsible for teaching <laughs> Americans our past because it's the schools. And I, I don't, you know, it just seems like people who are coming to these sites do not have the foreground knowledge. Just like you're saying, Brenda, you didn't learn that. Mm-hmm. And so now is it public history sites responsibility? 
to teach uh, this. You, yeah, you bring up an interesting point, and especially given the like the conversations that are sort of happening publicly in just the world at the moment about education and what is appropriate for children to right. to, to be to mm-hmm. learn in schools and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a we've 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 thought a lot about this in, in the pursuit of what the kind of content that we're doing, and and I, I genuinely think. Brenda, you bring up anger as a response to hearing things mm-hmm. that you weren't taught is is exactly the point. There's a danger yeah. in hiding things from people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what the re- your response was to learn more. But what yeah. you're building is a distrust. Because when someone learns that the, some of the, re- the realities of something and then they were taught something completely different, their distrust and, and sort of hesitancy to accept something is, is totally justifiable. And yeah. how they respond mm-hmm. to that, you don't have necessarily control over. No. Whereas being an, more honest about the, the thing, not for lack of a better term, whitewashing various parts of history builds mm-hmm. trust in from even like from academic institutions and from historians. Mm-hmm. Not like, hey, they're just lying to me mm-hmm. or I was not or they're not telling me the whole truth. Right. So that's yeah. not all real. So I can believe whatever. Sugarcoating it. Sugarcoating it. Yeah. The people that come, you know, for for the longest time, and I still do to some degree, um, look at my audience um, and I'm presenting to the audience and I try to gauge what stage of grief that they are in, you know, because when you're going through those stages, you know, you have shock and you have anger, you have denial, you know, you have bargaining, you know, you know, it's like all of the different things. And so I can you know, I could speak to all of those different stages, you know, when they meet with that cognitive dissonance, Mm -hmm. you know, the first time somebody tells them that Santa Claus isn't real and they're going, no, no, why are you playing with me? You know, he real, he gave me that Red Ryder B guy, right? You know, Um, (laughs) and then why would you believe anything your parents told you? You know, what else were they lying about? (laughs) Yeah, and it's, it's that the willful ignorance of some people, you know, the, you know, I'm plugging my ears, la, 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 that is not happening, that's not happening, but it's harmful for other people. And I'm right. a lot of times in that category of other people. You know, when our past president, DT, decided to say that, you know, the, the, <laughs> that the disease, the virus that was out there was non-existent, it didn't exist. Mm-hmm. It still had its effects on us. Right. You know, and it's it's things like that that make me angry. Give me all of the information. Let me make an educated, conscious choice. And then, you know, we'll see if if something negative befalls me because of the conscious choice that I made after I had all, all of the information laid out before me, then I'm going to accept responsibility for whatever consequences that mm-hmm. befall me. But to not give me all of the choices for me to not know what's behind each of those doors or in all of the envelopes. No, that's, that's not helpful. That's very harmful, mm-hmm. you know, to me as a human being. And again, it comes back to, you know, it's like, are you acknowledging somebody's humanity mm-hmm. and how much of their humanity are you acknowledging? Well, I, I actually, to wind down the conversation, cause we're getting close to our uh, time here. Um, there's a lot of a part of this discussion that we are uh, having is, is just in the general public about what it means to be an American. I think people are generally more politically sort of not necessarily engaged, but at least aware of conversations, just generally speaking, over the last five or six years. And that in that chaos, um, it's a little scary because you get to see all the sides of it. But I also think that there's an opportunity in there because people are actually talking about it. Uh, in a real way. And I, I would like to applaud the three of you for, for putting something out there 
um, that is meaningfully contributing to that conversation. Um, Absolutely. And, and, you know, and uh, I think it was genuinely a, a wonderful piece of work and, and, and I think you guys did a great job sort of expanding on what Lives Bound Together started and, and making something, a product that delves a little deeper uh, and connects in a different way, which I think is, is, is awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks. Thank you so much. Um, do you guys have any? Uh, I know that both Jeanette and Brenda are no longer with Mount Vernon, but <laughs> to direct something at Jim. Yeah. Uh, you guys have any future plans for the success of this podcast as far as what you guys are looking to do in the future? Well, I, I can speak to like two things. And so we do have some additional content in the works based off of Intertwined because we, we've got so much audio that we you know couldn't fit into the main series that we've got a few things in the works uh that are essentially mini episodes focusing on extended interviews with people expanding on some of the stories that we tell um we're also toying with the idea of releasing a soundtrack episode just for because no one's really done that before mm-hmm. and just to see what it looks like cool. um, so why not uh because we we had had a lot of fun thinking about the music and I should say Kurt Dahl, our, our lead engineer was the one who was responsible mainly for most of the music, but Jeanette and I mixed a few things here and there, but there's a commonality. And Brenda Brenda, suggested many good things. There's a, there's a commonality to all of the pieces of music that I think are worth listening to in total so that you get a clearer emotional sense of the, storytelling it's like almost like watching a silent movie but listening to it mm. in some ways um so we've got that and in terms of like next steps projects i would say probably we are building out a podcast network i think what we have finally achieved is we've finally helped people in positions of authority realize the amount of work it takes to actually execute not simply just you know, our regular interview show, which mm-hmm. is an enormous amount of work. And it, it wouldn't be as if, if I was better at editing, but there we are. <laughs> but um, something like intertwined, you know, that's a 12 to 18 month process. And that's not something you can rush. And I think we rushed, we didn't rush, but we rushed in some ways. We, we didn't have as much time as we would have liked in certain areas. I think that's certainly true. It was our first um, time and we learned a lot and right. we would have added even more time a second time around. Yeah. So the the question is, stay tuned. The other issue, quite frankly, is funding. Um, the only reason we actually were able to execute Intertwine is because we were very generously the recipients of a gift from a donor, an anonymous donor, um, who uh, was very committed to preserving Intertwine as a uh, preserving Lives Bound Together as a virtual tour uh, and doing this podcast and some other things centered around the enslaved community. So we were very grateful for that. But without that kind of funding. You know, it would have been a much longer process. I probably could have taken on the endearing myself, um, but don't. Oh, don't don't shake your head. <laughs> That's Jeanette was let me, gently let me... shaking her heads back and forth for the folks listening. <laughs> it have... would have taken it would have taken longer. I mean, let's <laughs> let's not kid ourselves. But I could have done it. Um, I probably would not have slept. But there we are. Um, but. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, we've got some ideas. Uh, it's just a question of financing. It's a question of having the right team in place. I mean, this only worked because uh, Jeanette, myself, and Brenda were at the right place at the right time. Uh, and really, that was really a key thing because we very deliberately made sure that there weren't a whole lot of cooks in the kitchen. Because as you can imagine, right, you start inviting other people into the process 
people have good ideas, people have bad ideas, people who are above you may have ideas that ne- don't necessarily advance the project in ways that you think it should. And so we, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but we very deliberately kept it close to the vest mm-hmm. and made sure that, um, <laughs> we, <laughs> made sure that, that uh, we um, maintained control of it and maintained the uh, quality of it all the way through the process. And that's just not something you can do by, you know, picking somebody up off the street. That that's actually the reflection of the trust you build with your partners over the course of a long time. And um, now we, uh, quite frankly, at Mount Vernon, uh, we're in a weird place right now because Jeanette betrayed me, and she's gone. And then Brenda's like, you know what? I'm done too. <laughs> that's a great she transition. Did not betray you. <laughs> There's no Thank betrayal. You. Oh. Office at Mount so Jeanette, after <laughs> stabbing Jim in the back and leaving, what are you? Uh, what are you up to nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> He's sounding all like like Mrs. Washington. I don't know why yeah. she left. <laughs> her fine gowns and <laughs> invited her to go see the theater. <laughs> I'm so gonna pay for this later. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> uh, yes. So. <laughs> Um, after many years of enjoying working at Mount Vernon, I am now the studio producer of R2 Studios, which is the new podcasting studios housed at the Roy Rosenwig Center for History and New Media at George Mason University. Go okay. her, right? Cool. <laughs> so we'll be hearing more from you, I'm sure. Yes. R2 Studios currently has two great podcasts called The Green Tunnel and Consolation Prize. They're fabulous. People should listen and we have more in the works. So. Where her first episode, her first produced episode comes out on February 15th for Consolation Prize. Oh Everyone should listen to that. Exciting. That'd be February 15th, 2022, future I, listeners. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm so excited for you. And Brenda, Brenda Parker is healing. <laughs> I'm like seriously just trying to heal from... um from the harm that was done, whether intentional or unintentional, um, there again at that site, because um, it wasn't until I started um, talking to my um, administrator, um, my manager and everything that I realized that a lot of instances, it was me against an institution. And I thought I had, you know, more support and more help than I, (laughs) than I actually did. (laughs) But, um, it's neither here nor there because I know what seeds I planted, um, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. And a seed has to bear, you know, a plant bears the seed, you know, that it has in it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you pointed out one of the seeds that I give is joy. And so I've left joy there. I've left mm-hmm. hope there. I've left faith there. I've left commitment and dedication um, to making sure that these persons' lives are recognized in their complete humanity. So, yeah, I left the place a lot better than the way I found it, you know. So yeah, you did. So. That is for sure. Brenda's a walking antidepressant. I don't know if you picked up on that by now. She's so much fun. I very much second that opinion. Um, Yeah. And for the the audience that doesn't know, because we didn't really talk about it, one of the roles that Brenda had at Mount Vernon was she was a living historian. So portraying people who were enslaved uh, for the visitors that came to visit. And and for those um, who don't know, there are very few members uh, of uh, the African-American or Black community that do that. 
in the country. And part of the reason why I believe that there are few is that it's emotionally taxing. So the tie, the healing, Brenda, well-deserved, well-earned. And uh, I think that all of us and everyone that got to see you there, uh, myself included, uh, perform and and sort of share those experiences was better for it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And there's still a bazillion videos out there, you guys. Mm-hmm. Yes, true. <laughs> YouTube. YouTuber. Yes, all, the, all the videos, all the places. Yeah. So. I actually have a quick story about that because when Jeanette and I were, I don't know, what, what point in the process were we? We, we were, it was still cold out. So it was early, late spring mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what we were doing. We but, were going on a walk because we needed to stop staring at the computer. Right. And Brenda happened to be interpreting at the time. And I actually had never seen Brenda interpret because um, I don't leave the library apparently ever. <laughs> and so I made us go stand and listen. Right. And so we just poked our head in and, and you and that was the day actually, Brenda, you were talking about the 1662 Act. You were explaining, mm-hmm. you know, descent from the mother means the child's enslaved. Mm-hmm. And we were just starting to think about episode one. I mean, we didn't actually start writing scripts for a long, long time, but it was, it was a while, but she started breaking down you know, the Latin vocabulary and explaining that to the kids. And, and I was like, Oh yeah, true. this, <laughs> mm-hmm. right, All right. The womb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if, if we actually asked Brenda at that point, Jeanette, if, nah. or were we still thinking about it? No, we, we had still, talked to her. We were, we were far enough I, into the process when we were just we were still awkwardly plotting or one. staring eavesdropping no because it was in the spring <laughs> yeah she, yeah she was on board we, at that point. <laughs> we just poked her out i'm like and uh first time i'd seen her perform i'm like oh yeah this is this is our narrator this is somebody knows exactly what needs to be done and can convey it precisely uh in the manner that it needs to be delivered we're, we're going to be in good hands so and it was simple conversations like that with the guests you know mm-hmm. that i felt like i could actually soar and shine and and more of that was being taken away from me because of my, um, I was having anxiety in being in those spaces because of the events of the last couple of years, and especially more so since the insurrection on the 6th, to where everybody seemed like a threat. And, and yeah, so mm. right. yeah. that's sad that that happened, but that's what happened. Yeah, you shouldered that burden for a good long while <laughs> that uh, I did do think that like, like I said before, I think that your rest and, and rehabilitation and healing <laughs> is well-deserved. And you've impacted, uh, all of you have impacted a lot of people through intertwined and just through your work at Mount Vernon. I mean, personally, yeah. I, I send a lot of people to Mount Vernon. Um, and so I, I, I know the impact that, that you've all had. Um, and so it's always important in your day to day, work just to to remember the difference that you're making and you know just like brenda said it's about leaving wherever you are a better place and so thank you so much for being here uh and talking with us and leaving this space better than the way you found it our pleasure thank you bye thanks for having us thank you so much thank you for listening to the full episode of too complicated for history we hope you enjoyed the episode and if you did please leave us a review on odyssey apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts be sure to follow us on our social media platforms at 2C4H underscore podcast or check out the link in the description. This will keep you in the loop for show updates, new episodes, and exclusive content. Join us next time as we talk to Daniel Cross about George Washington, the Seven Years' War, and post-traumatic stress in the 18th century. Too Complicated for History is a podcast from Primary Source Media, produced by Patrick Long and Lynn Price-Robbins, edited and mixed by Curtis Fritch. 
opening theme music by Sheena Biratella. <laughs>